Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, it's so, I'm so glad to be back. I was here for Mother's Day, but I just feel like this is home for me. I was um, a youth pastor here almost 15 years ago. That feels so long ago. Um, with Kyle Cooper, who's been here for like 100 years. So he's way older than me. Um, I'm sure he's listening to that. So I just love being back. So thank you so much. And thanks for being here after uh, New Year's Eve. You get brownie points. And if you're listening online, you get half a brownie point. But I'm so impressed that you're here. And I was laughing because I was like, when she asked the question, if you actually, you know, were awake at midnight, no one is going to, and you guys, a lot of you raised your hand, so that was super impressive. Um, I joke that the glitz and the glamour of New Year's, of what it used to be, looks very different for us now. Um, and for most of us, maybe, we're still in our seven-day-old Christmas jammies that we've been in for the last week. Um, if you have littles, uh, Grant and I used to live in Colorado, so Mountain Standard Time. So we were two hours um, behind you. And so we would do the good old East Coast ball drop and uh, throw our kids in bed at 10 o'clock. And that was successful New Year's Eve for us. So for those of you who did that, you are clever. Um, and I'm proud of you for that. I love a new year. Um, I'm just going to, I am who I am. Um, I love the new start. I love the goals, the intentions, the words, the vision board. I am the annoying friend that's like, do you guys want to come over and do a vision board together? I am that girl. And I've noticed that over the years, I have friends who are texting me and they're like, oh my gosh, when are we going to do that? What are your intentions for the year? What books are you going to read? And then half of my friends are like, seriously? You're going to do this again? It's the same thing every year. The disappointments from the goals you didn't meet. So I want to ask in here, because I asked 930, and I was actually very surprised with their answer. Who in here is in the, I love the goals, I'm like you, Christy, the intentions, like I've maybe already made my goals for the year. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, okay, yeah. Look at you. I like it. And then who in here is like, seriously, why are we doing this again? I'm just surviving here, lady. Okay. Good. <clears throat> COVID like wrecked us. The 9.30, I think three people raised their hand that they're making goals. I was like, oh, good. We can do a vision boarding session after this. And the rest of you are like, COVID did us in. We are just trying to survive. Leave us alone. But I think we all can be on the same page here, what we're talking about today. My message is new year, because it is, same you, more God. And I think we can all agree that all of us need more God this year. We're going to talk about how we do that. The first part I'm going to talk about is same you. Many of you have heard the different people who say new year, new you. Like whether that be like, oh, we're going to look different or we're going to be different or we're going to act different or we're going to do all these amazing things this year. And I just want you to look at it a little differently this year. New year, same you. And I think the reason my perspective is a little different, because I probably was in the camp before, like, oh, new year, new you. But I'm realizing, and if you were here um, on Mother's Day, I shared a bit of my story. Over the last three years, we've seen a lot of grief and pain in our lives. And even though I'm coming through it, not out of it, through it, not around it, which I'd like to do around it. But when we know if you have any grief or pain or brokenness in your life, you got to go head on through it that there's still hope and life and joy in the midst of that pain and suffering. 
And I think some of us have made these decisions or we've made choices that we look back and we think, oh, we don't want to do that or we try to hide it. And we want to erase that part of our story. And I'm here to tell you that God can use that part of your story. The story that you want to erase, the story that you maybe have felt for a really long time has put up this wall that no one else can see between you and God. And maybe you just couldn't quite pinpoint it. You're like, why, why don't I have this intimacy with God that everyone else has or that I wish I had? Because you have this wall that you've had for years because of whether choices you've made or uh, disappointments or whatever it is that you just feel that that part of your story needs to be erased. And God makes us new. He restores us. He redeems us. But that part of our story is, is still there. Our scars might not be as evident. We might be able to hide it a little more from newer people that we meet. But our story is still our story. And I think God many times uses our stories, the parts we'd like to forget, to be a lifeline for someone else. I um, now in Texas am an executive director of an anti-human trafficking organization. And I hear some really hard stories. Stories of pain and suffering that I will probably never experience in all of my life. And many of these have experienced it in just the short years that they've been alive. But I've also seen redemption and I've also seen hope. And I've seen things come out of that that have truly been hope for others. There is a quote by Henry Nowen that I love. And it says, I'm less likely to deny my suffering when I learn how God can use it to mold me and draw closer to him. There's a book that I love and um, have been reading consecutively for the last three years, um, and it's called Turn My Morning Into Dancing. And this is what he says. He says, I'm gradually learning that the call to gratitude asks us to say everything. Everything is grace. As long as we remain resentful about things we wish had not happened, about relationships that we wish had turned out differently, mistakes we wish we had not made, part of our heart remains isolated, unable to bear fruit in the new life ahead of us. It is a way we hold part of ourselves apart from God. And many of you have experienced that. You've experienced that invisible wall. Instead, we can learn to see our remembered experience of our past as an opportunity for conversion of the heart. We let what we remember remind us of who we are, not our own, but God's. I love how the Bible reminds us over and over again that God uses totally screwed up people who disappoint and make really bad choices. And it's so interesting to me, the Bible could just leave all that out and just do the good parts, right? When they really actually followed God and when they did the good thing for God and when they, um, you know, were transformed. But the Bible gives us the stories of who they were before they were transformed. And I think it's so amazing. You could literally pick all the different, a lot of different people in the Bible. Let's go with David. David, a, God, a man after God's own heart. However, David was also an adulterer. He also, when um, he cheated um, with Bathsheba, the husband, he put him on the front lines of battle 
so that he would be killed. So he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. But yet we read in Psalms over and over and over again of how God redeems, restores, brings life and joy to him. We have Paul. Many of us know him as this incredible crusader for Christ. He's written like 13 books of the Bible or something. We know him as one who goes and says, um, you know, we, I want to convert everyone to Christianity. However, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul did the exact opposite. He murdered Christians. He wanted them to be completely extinct. And so we see this transition. And, and I love how the Bible does not leave that out. We have Moses. Many of us know Moses as Ten Commandments and parting the Red Sea. But we have to realize that Moses murdered an Egyptian taskmaster. He fled the wilderness and he had a little bit of an anger problem. And yet God still used him. I love how the Bible shows us flawed people who God still uses and still uses that part of their story. There's an art in Japan um, called kintsuki. And I, if you're Japanese or if you know Japanese, I'm so sorry that I don't know quite how to say this. I did look it up on the Google translator thing, but I'm, I'm probably off on that. But kintsuki is called um, golden joinery, also known as golden repair. It's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage, dusted or mixed with gold, silver, or platinum. So they, they put this lacquer and they dust it on there with gold, silver, or platinum. As a philosophy, it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise. I think I have a picture of it. <clears throat> this unique method celebrates each artifact's unique history by emphasizing its fractures and breaks instead of hiding or disguising them. In fact, it often makes the repaired piece even more beautiful than the original, revitalizing it with a new look and giving it a second life. This piece is valuable. People want this. It's beautiful. There's um, a scripture in Zechariah that says, I will restore them because of my compassion, Zechariah 10.6. Isaiah 57.18, I have seen their ways, but I will heal them, I will guide them, I will restore them. Same you, more him. He's that gold that puts us back together. No matter where you are in this new year, whether you are so excited for the new year or you are like limping through 2022 and hoping this year is something different, I think that we can all agree that we need more God in our life. It sounds so simple, right? Um, but I wouldn't say there's one person in here that would say, like, actually, I am all full up on God. All his attributes. Compassion, too much of that in my life. Patience, whoo, so patient all the time with my kids when they do nothing I tell them to do. <laughs> kindness, it's exuding out of me. Don't give me any more kindness, you guys. Peace, all full up. Don't have any more room for any more peace in my life. None of us could say that. And I love the attributes of God. I love the names of God. We've been doing a series in our church in Texas um, about the names of God. And if you were here with me on Mother's Day, I preached about the name that has meant so much to me in this season. And it's a name you don't hear about a lot. Um, it's El Roy. 
And that is um, when Hagar calls God, the first person to call God this, the one who sees. The one who sees me when no one else seems to truly see all of us. He sees me. There are so many other names. You literally could take a name or attribute of God and just kind of meditate on it all throughout this year. Um, But we talked about Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides in Genesis. Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals. Jehovah Roha, the God who's my shepherd. Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. Jehovah Shammah, God is there. I think if we looked at all these, we could probably pick one or two of these that we need more of in our life. And if you're taking notes today, I'm going to give you just three very practical ways that we can make room for God, that we can experience God more together this year. The first one is we have to make space for him. Every single day. He has to be the most important thing in our day. In the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, It's not one of those like, oh, man, at the end of the day, I've got like seven minutes left before my eyes fall asleep, and I'm going to give some time to God. we got to see it in a totally different way, that we cannot truly function the way that we need to function, be who God has created us to be, unless we make space for him, intentional time for him at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, that we are connected to him all throughout the day. Because if you don't make space for him, you're going to make space for something. You know, they say we all have 24 hours in a day. We all get to choose what we do. And I hear people say, well, yeah, that's great for you, but I'm way busier than you. So, of course, you have time to spend time with God. I actually run my own company, and I have, like, 27 kids. And I just, I don't have time to to make space for God. But I would say in our own way, it doesn't have to look like everyone else's way that we can make space for God. And I would challenge you that this year, it needs to be such an intentional thing that we realize that we can truly not do life without making space for him. That if you have any goals, if you're my, my people in here that were like, I'm not making any goals this year, like I ask you to make this goal, that you figure out how to give him the best of your day. The first of your day. My mom growing up, um, she always had a Bible open on the couch, her prayer journal thing that literally, I mean, it's like a thousand people deep, um, always in the morning when I woke up. I'd see her on the couch, and she didn't really tell me, like, here's a seven-step process of how I meet with Jesus every day. But her life was a direct reflection of the time she spent with him. And so I thought, because I love a good goal, um, I was like, I'm going to do that maybe one day. I'm going to do that. And so I had kids, and they were young-ish. And I was like, okay, I can get up an hour before them, um, and I can spend some time. Now, I have to tell you, I am not a morning person. Who in here, like, loves the morning? Like, oh, look at you, lots of morning people. I want to be you. I do, but I am who I am. I can't be you. For 15 years, I'm like, I can be a morning person. I'm just not. It's never going to happen. However, um, I said, I'm going to make the goal to get up 
because I love a good goal. I'm going to get up early in the morning, and I'm going to just spend time with God. I look differently every day. It could be um, my coffee with the Bible and journal, or it could be a meditation. It could be all these different things that I'm doing. But I noticed that when I started my day, no matter what the circumstance was, my reaction was different. And I could tell very easily. When I spent my time with him, when I centered myself with God... I let him be in me and through me because I truly believe that God is just not a 30-minute increment in our day or a 10-minute increment. When we truly get to know God, he is in us. And therefore, we start to think like him. We start to treat people like him. Our perspective changes. And so my kids could be the same on Monday and Tuesday. And whether I spent time with God or not was my perspective and my reaction would be different. So when I chose to spend time with God in the morning, the chaos of the morning was less chaotic to me. I felt a little more peace. I wasn't screaming at my sweet daughter who literally is like a bull in a china closet. I'm not sure where she gets that, probably her dad. Um, But I mean, we're talking like cannot get her life together The shoes and the socks, we've never had matching socks a day in our life. My husband got all of us matching socks this year, just like, can you please, for the first time in your life, wear matching socks? It's just never going to happen. I'm sorry. It's never going to happen for us. And so I know that when I spent that time in the morning and she was chaotic, I could come with a little more grace and a little more peace, and I could breathe and be like, this isn't the end of the world. But it was so interesting when I didn't do that, my reaction was very different with her or with my kids or with myself. There was less grace. There was more worry. There was more angst. And so that really started to change who I was. And I believe that if we make space for God, it will have to be a discipline at first, like everything is, that we start. And then I promise you will crave it and to a point where you truly can't do life without it. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is find new ways to experience him. There are so many ways that you can experience God. Sometimes we only know a certain way because it's what we were taught or how we grew up or it's the church that we went to. And so that's the only way we know God. And what I've learned over the years is that God is this huge God. He is so incredibly personal. He is so incredibly big. And so when we get to experience him in different ways, it just opens our eyes to who he is. It truly makes us fall in love more. That's what it's done for me. I'll give you an example. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, Much like this church is very similar. My dad was a pastor, so we were always at church when the doors were open. I knew to read my Bible and to pray and do the good things and give my life to God. And I knew that when there was at some point that I had to have my own faith, not just my parents' faith. And so in college, I did. And I went to the same type of church and the same type of worship, and it was same, 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 same. And it was fine, and it was good. But then I met a mentor of mine, um, about 30, who had a different way that she experienced God. It wasn't better or worse. It just was different. And so she started to to help me see God in a new light. And for me, that was a little bit more um, contemplative, where it was more in the stillness and the quietness. And I'm a doer, and so sitting still with God and just sitting and being and not doing is very hard for me. That was very hard for me. But it changed my life. 
It truly did. And for the first time, because when you're a doer, you feel like you have to perform all the time to do the right thing, it was the first time that I realized I don't have to perform for God. I get just to be in his presence. And he loves me just for that. I started to read different writers and people who experienced God in different ways and private prayers and um, liturgies, which I didn't even know what that word was. It's just, it's just prayers. And I started to experience him in this deep level that enhanced how I knew him. It didn't change how I know him. It just enhanced it. And it, I experienced a depth that I've never experienced before. An emptying of my heart for God to feel, fill it that I didn't even know I needed. Now in Texas, we go to a very Holy Spirit-filled church. We see miracles all the time, and we see um, <clears throat> healings and all kinds of stuff. And it has been uncomfortable at times, but it has also stretched my faith to see God in a totally different way. So now I feel like I have this huge view of God, and I get to experience him more. So I encourage you to find a different way, adopt a practice Adopt a way, go to a different church for just a, just a service, just to see. Read some different things just to see how big God is and experience him differently. The third thing is ask him to take over. How you can experience more God is to truly ask him to take over your life. I'm guessing most of us over the years have asked God to help us in different situations. God, help me in my marriage, help me in my relationship with my kids, help me in this new job, help me, help me, help me. Many times it's when we are at the end of our rope where we have completely messed it up and we're like, hey God, so I have completely messed this up. So if you could just come in here for a bit and like help me, that would be great. But we don't start that way. Many, it's, many times it's after we've tried to take control and then we ask God to come in. I used to love to do this when I did um, new things, new endeavors. I'd be like, this is what I'm gonna do. And then, oh God, could you bless it? Like down the road after it doesn't work out the way that I'd like it to do? That'd be great. And instead of living with my hands wide open to say I need you to not just help me in this, but I am desperate for you to take over. And many times we get like that after it's our last resort. But I'm asking you to start in that posture where you're asking him to take over, fill in the blank, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, whatever it is that you're asking him to completely take over. <clears throat> There's a scripture I love, um, John 3.30, and it says, he must grow bigger, I must grow smaller. There is such a freedom in this way of living, of complete dependence on him, of keeping our hands open. I think for years I thought that I live a surrendered life. I was a pastor for years. I mean, I did all the things that I was supposed to do for God. And I was like, oh, I'm completely surrendered. <laughs> of course I am. And then when things get stripped out of your life that you thought you had control of, that's when you're like, okay, I, wa I, I wasn't actually at all surrendered at all. And so I live my life like this, 
And then maybe I live some of my life like this, like, oh, God, I actually probably know what's best for Christy. And you might know a little bit. I mean, you are the God of the universe. You made me. You created me. But I still know best. And I lived like this. And I would say that this season of my life is one of the first that I've lived like this. That I've said, God, take over. Like, I literally can't do it. And I want you to take over. And that means that I have to be okay with the outcome. That means that I have to be okay to trust him when maybe the outcome isn't what I think it should be. And I want to go back to when we're making space for God in our life. We get to know him. We get to know his attributes. We start to think differently. It's easier for us to trust him. It all goes together. In John 3.30, I said, he must grow bigger, I must grow smaller. There's um, a beautiful meditation um, in an Advent series that I read this year, and he's talking about John the Baptist. And, you know, John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus. And he didn't come in and say, I'm the Messiah. He said, I'm actually paving the way for the Messiah. Because John learned to empty himself already as a young man before he built his tower of success. He had no ego. There is um, an acronym for ego that I love that has really changed my perspective on it. But ego, many say, is just the meaning of edging God out. Edging God out. When we let ego, our ego run the show, and many of us don't even think we have a lot of ego. But when I say it like that, that it's edging God out so I have more control, that's what it is. But that's not what John did. John had such an emptiness that he said, I want God to take over. And it didn't just happen overnight. I don't think like just overnight it's like, oh, well, we don't have any ego and God take over and it's going to be great and we're going to totally change our mind. I think it's a thousand acts of devotion and a thousand acts of letting go that we keep making that ego go away so that we can edge God back in. And that's what John did. There's this um, beautiful song that we sing at our church, and it says, come and take over, we're desperate for you. Come and take over, oh, how we need you. All the praise and all of our worship, all of the glory, Lord, Lord, you deserve it, we surrender. And what if this year that was our posture? That we didn't wait until everything blew up and we needed God to help us. But instead of saying, God, will you help us with this? That we say, God, will you actually take over my own agenda, my own life, the people around me who I'm, who I'm in relationships with, that you would just literally come and take over because I don't want to be in charge of that anymore. I want you to be in charge of that. I want to read a prayer that I like to read in the mornings. <clears throat> and um, it's just a morning prayer of just surrendering every single day. But I want to read it because I want this to, to take effect in my life. And it says, I am not the captain of my own destiny, not even of this new day. And so I renounce all claim to my life and desires. I am only yours, God. What if we were that, what if we were that way? Lead by your mercies through these hours that I might spend them well, not in harried pursuit of my own agendas, but rather in good service to you. 
Nothing is too hard for you. I deposit all my confidence in you that whatever these waking hours bring, my foundations will not be shaken. And I think for some of us in here who have known God for a while or have been Christians for a while, we maybe have never truly made the space that we need to make for him. And maybe we've never truly surrendered and said, come and take over all of my life, my relationships, my endeavors, the things I want to do for you, God, come and take over. We haven't had that posture. We've been like this, like me, or like this. But that we're in this posture of come and take over. And I'm going to pray that for us today. And for those of you maybe who have never asked God into your heart, that you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. What, what an incredible day to do that, this new year to say, hey, I'm going to surrender my life to you, and I want you to be the Lord and Savior of mine. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you so much for your son. I just thank you so much for his life on the cross for us, that you've redeemed and you've restored us, that you can use all of our story, God. I pray that this wall that maybe has been up for some of us, that today would be the day that you bring it down. God, I pray for those of us who have never truly surrendered our entire life. Maybe we've never made space for you. Maybe we've never made you that important piece of our life. God, I pray that this year that you would be that for us. And for those who have never truly asked you into their heart to be their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today would be that day. We love you and we thank you for giving us this life to do life with you. God, we surrender it all. 